Welcome to the latest MAPS Journey, the podcast dedicated to exploring the experiences and perspectives of minor attracted persons and those who support them. In today's episode, Elliot is joined by Sona, a clinical social worker who has made a significant shift in her professional focus, and Jay, a minor attracted person who is actively working with Sona to prevent child sexual abuse. Sona discusses how she transitioned from working with sex offenders to preventing abuse from ever happening by working with the non-offending MAP community. She shares her personal journey of exploring the root causes of sexual offending behavior, and finding ways to prevent it from occurring in the first place. Sona also talks about the challenges she has faced in shifting her focus, and how she has developed a unique approach to working with non-offending MAP individuals. Jay, who has previously shared his experiences on the podcast, provides his perspective on prevention strategies and interventions. He shares his experiences of seeking therapy to better understand and manage his feelings of attraction, and how he is working with Sona to develop strategies to prevent any potential harm to children. Jay also discusses the misconceptions surrounding minor attracted persons, the emotional impact of being stigmatized, and the importance of support and understanding. Together, Sona and Jay provide important insights, and strategies for preventing child sexual abuse and creating safer and healthier communities for our children. Listeners will gain a better understanding of the primary prevention of child sexual abuse and the critical role of working with non-offending MAP individuals to prevent harm to children. So, let's get started with today's episode. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, and you? I'm doing well, how about you, Jay? Hey Elliot, not too bad. Yeah, well... Thanks for uh, coming on. I think this will be an interesting discussion. Um, as we talk, I talked about in the intro, we're going to see how you guys have uh, grown together and learning from each other as therapist and client. And uh, as we shall see, I can't talk, but soon see that, uh, Sona, your uh, background started in uh, sex offending, treating sex offenders. So it's definitely different. Yeah. So um, with that, um, do you want to talk a little, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I uh, have a master's in social work from the University of Texas at Austin, and long time ago, got that in 1980, and right out of graduate school, I moved away, and my first job was at a maximum security prison in Maryland that uh, treated not just sex offenders, but all the, all the most serious felony offenses. But it was a unique prison. It was a treatment program, and I really learned a lot and cut my teeth there. I was quite young and uh, naive, and and it was it was a good experience and a good education for me. After uh, working at the prison for a while, I then got into working with the psychiatric hospital population, and that was different than working with the criminal population. And I really liked. Uh, the criminal population for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I felt as though it was easy to have a, a big impact because there was so much work to be done, number one. And number two, at that particular job, I had long-term relationships with the clients, whereas at a psychiatric hospital, it's a much shorter-term relationship. And I realized that I really appreciated having long-term relationships with my clients. So I then... Um, was introduced to a psychologist who was working with sex offenders. And through him, I started working with men convicted of sex offenses that were serving uh, probation or parole. 
for their offenses. And they were court ordered to attend therapy specific to their sex offense behaviors. And it was a part, you know, it was a condition of their, of their supervision. So that led me back in 1993 to start working pretty exclusively with that population. So that, that's, that's sort of my professional background. And, uh, what led you to decide to start working with, uh, uh, mostly non-offenders um, and like just the minor attracted community in general? Well, I, so in working with uh, my clients that are, I'm sure most of y'all are aware, or maybe you're not, but if you're uh, convicted of a sex offense in this country, you have to be on a sex offender registry. And that happened during my you know, years doing this kind of work. The, the registry didn't exist when I first started doing this work. And I saw, you know, how difficult it was for my clients to reintegrate into their communities, their families, et cetera, uh, with the stigma of the registry. So th- because of that, I got involved with NARSOL, which is the National Association for Rational Sex Offense Legislation. And that's a cause that's really dear to my heart. And through NARSOL, I met uh, Michael, who I think you interviewed recently about Before You Act, because he was involved in both organizations. And Michael asked me if I wanted to become a signatory for the Before You Act program, which I think he spoke about on your podcast, where signatories are therapists that they've vetted in order to to be willing to work with clients that they refer and and uh, accept their philosophies and and that sort of thing. So I got introduced specifically to the MAP population through Before You Act. And it it, it came at the same time as I was sort of winding down my private practice. Uh, I'm semi-retired now, and I wasn't really totally willing to give up being a clinical social worker and just, uh, you know, puttering around my house. So this was a way for me to keep a hand in uh, feeling as though I was doing something meaningful and worthwhile by, by still having some people that I could work with. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a community that needs help. Um, You know, most of us deal with a lot of social stigma and shame and guilt and all that stuff. So, you know, the more people who are out there, and willing to help the better and not, you know, and treat us as human instead of monsters. Exactly. I, I like what Candace, all, Candace always says on her podcast that we're human beings, not human doings. And I, I think that's a mm-hmm. big determination that people need to make. Right. And that, and that's the, along those same lines is my, uh, why the National Association for Rational Sex Events Legislation is important to me because you think as a MAP, you have a stigma. If you are convicted of a sex offense, whether you're a MAP or not, uh, and if you're on a sex offender registry, there's huge stigma related to that that affects people's ability to to find jobs, to find housing, uh, to travel, all, all kinds of things. I'm familiar with working with people that are trying to navigate, not having the same, afforded the same sorts of rights and concern and care that that most of us take for granted yeah definitely it's it's crazy like like, 
Um, my one friend, uh, he put on the registry at, uh, about 20 years ago, and it was for a non-contact offense thing. It was just some like random message he sent someone, and um, he actually came on and discussed it on the podcast once, and he's still dealing with it 20 years later and it affecting his life. And it, it just it's, it thinks it's something that I don't think, I mean, if you are a violent offender or whatever and danger to society, yeah, I think it, it it's definitely a, a good thing, but I still don't think more punitive than helpful towards the person. Right. And I, I don't have a problem with the registry being a thing that law enforcement has access to. I, I think that's probably worthwhile and some sometimes when they're investigating crimes, but I, I really don't think it has a place in terms of public uh, access and public notification. There's just, it's fraught with problems, but that's not what we're here to talk about, fortunately, because that's a sad subject. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we can do another podcast about that. Um, but um, I think we've even talked about it before in other podcasts. Anyway, so yeah, yeah like let, you said, let, let me just say one thing. If you're a non-offending map, just know that you want to stay a non-offending map. That is, you know, the best thing that you can do for yourself and try to get help uh, for whatever issues you you feel as though you need help with, which may not be specifically map related, but it's, you know, it's certainly best to stay on the non-offending side of, of any of these issues. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let's uh, welcome Jay into the conversation and let you guys... Uh, discuss what we are actually here for like you said <laughs> hi guys <laughs> hey um, almost 10 minutes into the conversation yeah hey. <laughs> no, it was very oh, interesting you're... i was i was thinking you ellie you probably could do like you should have like maybe somebody from narsal and do like a whole episode on that that would be very interesting I yes think, uh, it's a great it's a very good organization a lot of good people working in that organization yeah, I think actually Teresa, who we've had on before, is in, in that as well. I know she's part of the wanting to reform it, so um, she's probably involved in that organization. But yeah. So, all right, guys. So I'll, I'll let you take the floor now, both of you, since you know each other better than <laughs> I do. So. All right. Um, well, I had a, a question that I, you know, I'm, and I can't believe I've never asked you this before, Sona, but um, am I... Or do you have other uh, no maps as clients? Not currently. Not oh, but you have had before. Yes, yes, oh, okay. but not to the not to the extent that you and I have had the opportunity mm -hmm. to work together. You've hung in there a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, well, I needed, <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate that too. By the way, um, You're welcome. But I was think I asked that because. I'm I'm also I'm in the the weekly meeting that the Global Prevention Project holds. Right. And uh Meg Martinez is the uh is the person leading my current meeting. She she always said that maps are like snowflakes, like they're individuals. So everyone is different. I think that one common thread of no maps is that we all well i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say this but I, I would say probably a lot of us believe that our attraction to minors is 
sort of something that was that we were born with um that it can't there's no like therapy or treatment that could um make it go away right and so that would be a reason why they might resist treatment no no i don't think so but it would uh it would it would obviously would affect how how you treat them um and again like that with that being a baseline then there's the differences on top of that i guess You'll have to forgive me. I kind of lost my train of thought on that. But I guess... You, you were talking about how she said every, every maps are like snowflakes. Everybody's yeah. unique. Everybody's issues are right. different. Yeah, I know. But I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Oh. But, um, well, I was going to add, though, that, um, you know, I said you've hung in there longer. I think I think a lot of people ask for help in the you know depth of some crisis and I've had a couple of people reach out through uh, Before You Act, and then, you know, we might have a, a couple of connections, and then they they disappear. And I think it's because either life gets in the way or they're, they're not willing to really delve into what's going on with them. Uh, and so they sort of retreat. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about working with you is that you – you are willing to get in there and work on what's going on with you. And that's, that's been rewarding for me. Yeah. Well, I, I have, I mean, I, I don't see any other path for me. Like I need to figure out how to integrate my mapness, that side of myself into my daily life in a way that's, that's going to be safe for myself and everyone else. And, um, allow me to to live a, a meaningful life i'm not i i almost said happy right. but i don't think happiness is um, <laughs> let's not go that far right <laughs> right you can't there's no guarantee i don't i mean who really is happy it's not happiness it's isn't possible. a guarantee in life <laughs> no it's not a guarantee but it, i think no. it is possible but you know i think another maybe something just in my limited experience i mean you are a bit older than some of the other people that i've that I tried to start working with. And so I'm wondering if, if your maturity and a little bit more life experience um, has made it, I don't know if easier is the right word, but has made you hang in there and really confront some of these issues more than uh, some younger clients. You, you, you just reminded me of sort of where I wanted to go. <laughs> um, I would, I appreciate that you, you said that I have some level of maturity. I, I feel like I'm pretty immature in a lot of other ways. And um, I was kind of wondering if that is like, I know you have more experience with um, offending maps, but do you think that's a common thread amongst all maps, whether they're offending or not, is some level of immaturity or? Well, I don't, I don't know that, that, you know, we can, you use such a broad brush, but I mean, some of the things that you've told me and, the, and in listening to the, these podcasts that Elliot does, I think maps are attracted to children for something having to do with the, the, y'all have talked about the innocence of childhood or the innocence of their, their worldview and that sort of thing. So I think in order to be drawn to that to the degree that a map is that I guess there's got to be some level 
I don't know if immaturity is the right word, but at least being drawn to that. I think I think you and I talked about that once, and I told you that I don't ever long for my. And I think this was after I listened to one of one of the uh, Map Journey episodes that when y'all were talking about longing for that innocence of childhood and, and that sort of thing. Was there, Elliot, a podcast mm-hmm. where y'all talked about that? I think that was the one about the emotional attraction. Yep. I think that was yes. Yes. And I was reflecting and, and I think Jay and I had a conversation about it and I said, you know, I don't ever experience that feeling. And so I, I think there's something about that that maybe is a difference. Yeah. And that's like, that's really, um, I mean, to me, I, I just find that strange, you know, like I can't obviously relate to not having that feeling. Yeah. I mean, me either. Like it wasn't till recently I learned the term, um, age dysphoria. And I think in a sense, like all, all maps have that to varying levels. Like for me, I, you know, there are certain times if I get too many uh, adult situations thrown at me at once, my mind slips back into a childhood-like state. And so I think that, yeah, definitely that it is a, a thing that us as being minor attracted deal with. And I think that is actually a part of the attraction is that you said that longing to return to the innocence and the youthful energy and all that stuff. Yes. I mean, certainly for some people, I'm, I'm, thinking about a client I worked with a number of years ago who I would consider to be a map. Obviously, they weren't non-offending because I was working with them. But that individual, I don't get that sense of childlike innocence or wonder at all. So it would be interesting now with this sort of new outlook that I have to talk with him again about what is it about the attraction that is most salient for him. I'm not sure it's the emotional attraction. It might be more the sexual attraction, but but I don't know. I haven't had that conversation. Well, I would like to say it depends on where they are, I think, in their life and journey, too. Because for me, it, you know, when I was like in my teens, my mid-teens to late teens to early 20s, sort of through that period, I would say the attraction was almost 100% physical. I mean, I didn't really have any uh, friends or acquaintances uh, that were, you know, girls that were in my age of attraction. And um, I didn't really know what they were like. I mean, I had my sister, but she, I, don't, I don't know. That's different. There's, I just didn't think of her like that. She was annoying to me, really. <laughs> but um, at any rate, I just had all I had to go on was appearance. Because you didn't have the you didn't have the emotional bond with any child at that point in your right, life. Right, right, yeah. In fact, I can remember when I was around twenty one or two, something like that. My sister had uh, some friends that would come over a lot, and they would spend the night and stuff. And um, there was one in particular that she wasn't like really even all that physically attractive to me. But I remember that she. She seemed to like me, like she would come sit by me and stuff and and talk to me. And um, I didn't really think that there was anything there. I didn't think I was like forming a bond. But her family moved away and she was just gone suddenly. I found myself missing her and I was like a little bit puzzled by that. And then I had a I we had a picture of her on our computer 
that my mom had taken. And I was looking at that and I just found myself crying. And I was, it's weird when you have emotions that you don't, <laughs> that you don't even know what you're feeling exactly or, and you didn't expect them. Cause I was very mm-hmm. puzzled at that. Yeah. I was very like, this is weird. <laughs> Why is this happening mm-hmm. to me? Um, so that would be like probably my first taste of like the emotional side of it. But anyway, see, I keep, <laughs> I'm having a hard time today. I know one thing we're going to get into is the fact that I have, or I did have a, a young person in my life that fits my attraction profile. That has been very much on the emotional side of things. Like I can recall and, and actually connecting back to that whole like innocence and childlike wonder thing you know we've had my young friend and i have had many close conversations just sort of i don't know like sort of the way a small child will sit and discuss things uh, with an adult like typically a parent discuss their world and what they're thinking i when i think about those moments like i always get reminded of when i was five six years old and my mom and i would sit and have little conversations and i would tell her everything that was on my little mind at the time and it always like makes me really emotional when i make that connection extremely emotional like even now i can feel tears welling up a little bit just thinking about that about being able to enjoy that closeness with a child um is that what is just, that what is just emotional like, about it well i mean that's what it has to be now because i'm no longer a child myself but um just the whole relationship whether it doesn't matter which side of it that i'm on i don't know there's just some but yeah it's like a connecting back to my i guess you would call it inner child i don't know if i've inner child always seemed kind of woo woo to me but mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but yeah that person that i was i feel like i guess he must still exist maybe we need to have some conversations with that inner child <laughs> could be yeah i uh I did. I, I started reading this book by, I think his name's John Bradshaw. Uh-huh, John Bradshaw, yeah. He's, yeah, he's... Yeah, yeah, it was about inner child work. And he, he had you uh, write, like, be, use your non-dominant hand to have your, your inner child write to your adult self of what they needed. And when I was doing this exercise, one, you, you realize how hard it is for that inner child to come out because you know, of how hard it is to write with your non-dominant hand. But also, as I was writing, the table I was sitting was facing this window and it was at night. So I saw my reflection in the window and uh, it was all distorted. And like that added to the whole um, exercise because I like that is how I interpreted my inner child must feel is like it's a distorted image of and so that that's definitely like was a powerful exercise for me mm-hmm. well that that's interesting yeah i haven't i haven't read any of his work in a long long time going back to what i guess we were talking about you being older and and maybe that's why you were willing to to start getting in there and digging into into issues were you saying, Jay, that maybe when you were younger, you would not have felt as though you needed to talk about these things or explore them? 
Um, they weren't causing me a lot of emotional distress. I did in my, by the time I was in my early to mid 20s, I did experience a lot of emotional distress, but that was related to feeling guilty about, you know, having the attraction at all. And I dealt with it in an interesting way. I mean, (laughs) it worked for the time I became religious and um, thought for a while that I was uh, over it. But it never went away. I was just sort of deluding myself. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think now today in this day and age of the internet, and um, it's easier to find resources. I mean, back in, in that time, uh, it would have been really, I mean, it still is hard to think, figure out who you can talk to about it, even a you know professional. It's like, if I go to a therapist, are they going to freak out or, or oh, whatever? Yeah. And I think with the internet now and groups like Before You Act and podcasts like A Map's Journey and you've mentioned uh, Verped, which I've I've never explored. I'm not even sure. I, do you have? Would I be able to explore their website? Uh, I believe they would let you join. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a website front of it, and then there's the actual forum, and you have to request to become it, um, get access to the forum. But yeah, I know there's Sheila and Rusty and all that. They're they're members, so I, I don't know if you have access to the whole whole board, right. but you you definitely can join. Right. So my point being that that there are resources out there where a map can start to find some some at least people, other people that maybe can can be understanding and relate. And then through uh, organizations like Before You Act, and I, I guess there may be some others, then also find help that presumably w- won't be, will handle it appropriately and, and with care and concern. Yeah, there's... But one uh, of the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, there is a tremendous amount of resources out there now, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. One of the things that we wanted to talk about was sort of the difference with my work with maps versus offenders, and that that hit me in the face first time I met with you, Jay, and uh, you started talking to me about what was going on in your life, and as you know, through the lens of a sex offender therapist, I'm like, oh my god, you know, this guy is has contact with this child and and that's dangerous and oh you know he can't do that and and I think I even told you that I didn't want you to have contact with you you know you you had a, a hard stop on that and you know what is my responsibility here in terms of of protecting confidentiality versus protecting uh, children and the community and all of that sort of stuff that was pretty much second nature to me as a sex offender treatment provider and also as a sex offender treatment provider, I had other people that were also involved in helping manage the the person, uh, specifically parole or probation, which, you know, obviously is a double-edged sword for a treatment provider. And, and I realized I didn't have that authority with you. And I had nothing to say, you cannot do that. Whereas with somebody who's on probation or parole and you're providing the treatment, there's, you know, there's a lot you can say you can and cannot do. There's all kinds of rules. 
So that was a big eye-opening experience for me that um, I really think you helped me navigate through and, and also helped educate me about there's the myth, and I think you're you're struggling with this right now in your personal life, Jay. About if you're if people know that you're a map, or if you you know are a map, does that automatically mean you're going to act out? You know, where is that dividing line between a no map and somebody who does actually act out? And you've really helped me sort of delve into that because I never had to before. All my clients had already acted out, so it was not it was no longer an issue. The issue was, are they going to act out again? You know, that's certainly a huge issue when you're dealing with, with um, people convicted of sex offenses. But the idea of never acting out was foreign to me. And you turned me on to a lot of resources, one of which was the, the your podcast, Elliot. You know, he told me to, to look into that and to listen to some of the podcasts, which I did. And uh, he directed me to several different things to read. And so that's been, you know, that's been a really cool education for me and one that I wouldn't have gotten without my working with you. Oh, I'm glad I could help with that. Yeah. Um, Was there a aha moment, as they call it, when it like just actually clicked that there is that separation between unoffending and offending, like not everyone's at risk is like they're a determining factor for you or I'm still waiting for that aha moment. My <laughs> that's the hundred thousand dollar question. It's like what is that dividing line and what keeps people on one side of the line versus the other side of the line? And I'm not sure that we know. And I'm sure it's different for different people. I mean just like all of people's motivations for the same behaviors are different. Like when I would when people would find out that I worked with sex offenders, they would say, you know, well, they can't be cured, can they? Or, you know, what, whatever all the various myths are out there about sex offenders. And I always like to, to, I used it as kind of my public service announcement to try to get people to understand that it was a much more compli- complex uh, issue. And I would say you know, many, ro- many roads lead to Rome. So I think that you can look at the same behavior, but have different underlying causes for why somebody has that behavior and it's obviously the same with maps because you know we're all individuals Uh, and that was I think that was my concern initially in working with Jay was that I think a lot of my clients that were already convicted of of having acted out at some point in their life they were a non-offender and what was it that and that's a big part of their treatment is what is it that led them to to blow through all of the, you know, the boundaries that would keep you from acting out. Uh, And sometimes it was, you know, just a constellation of variables, you know, being at the wrong place at the wrong time sort of thing. And so that was initially in working with Jay, that was some of, I think what, what we were working on is how to not, how to not cross a line that you hadn't crossed and that you didn't want to cross um, in terms of being, you know, doing, looking at your behavior and thinking of ways to, to shore it up to be safe. Uh, that was probably more of a concern for me than it was for you because you know who you are in your heart. And I'm just sitting on the other side trying yeah. to figure out how to uh, keep you on one side. You're good. Yeah. Okay. You're <laughs> sorry. There's so many things building up now that I want to say. Go. Go. Um, well, 
first of all, there's no, unfortunately, there's no way to know, I don't think, whether any given map would become an offender or not. I mean, they may know, but they, even they themselves may not know. But definitely an outsider, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's no way to know. I mean, for me, I can tell you some of the things that, that make me uh, confident that I will not be an offender. And that is, I mean, one is my age. I'm 40 yeah, now. Yeah, your age, your age is somewhat protective in terms of the risk factors. That That is true, but it's not unheard of. I mean, I've had oh, no, no, I, that, yeah. that have acted out and never had acted out before. Right. No, I, I know. I guess uh, I've noticed a decline in my sex drive. Um, it's just not like really as important to me anymore. And I also completely understand that child and or adult and child sexual relationships is completely inappropriate. I mean, I, I totally get that, and um, I I don't want to. Like, I have no desire to put a child through any kind of suffering, let alone that kind of suffering. And I know that it is entirely possible for a child to, in the moment, be, to want to um, explore sexuality or be willing to do that. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to be damaging down the road. And I can even think back to, like, my own childhood, like, this is a pretty personal story, and I'm only gonna. I, I don't. I almost am embarrassed to bring it up, but I think it's necessary. When I was probably six or so, like, I remember watching my mom kiss my stepdad very intimately with tongues and everything, and um, I asked her. Like, I thought that that was just Sex? an extra. No, no, just an extra loving kiss. You know, I didn't think it was. Oh, okay. uh, I didn't realize it was sexual. So I asked her if she would kiss me that way. And luckily she didn't. <laughs> because, um, Yay, you know. Mom. Yeah, well, I'm sure she had no desire to. But <laughs> anyway, if, uh, yeah, like as an adult, if I would look back on that, I mean, I would be mortified, like. I would just feel so disgusting if, uh, yeah, <laughs> if she had actually done it. So I get that. And anything beyond that is, yeah, obviously completely even way worse. So, yeah, that's my understanding. And in addition, um, with the emotional attraction, like, I love kids. I, you know, specifically the ones that I've had relationships with, which is really only the one lately. I just, my love for her is, a, I think, a very protective um, element, which I think is something that you've probably learned, I guess. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. So I think one of the things that, yeah, the whole who, how to keep somebody on one side of the line and how do you know, and you're right, we nobody knows, nobody has a crystal ball. I do think that one of the things that, that definitely feels different about you than other people I've worked with that have already crossed that line is that you, without my prompting, I mean, you already had come to this conclusion on your own, it was that doing anything sexual would be very harmful to 
a child and specifically the chi- that child that was in your life. Um, and whereas I think a lot of my clients who had done those sorts of things intellectually, they know that that's damaging, but they were able at the time to either convince themselves that it wasn't um, by a whole variety of, you know, we have a whole, bu- whole bunch of inner self-talk that we can do to convince ourselves that, that our behavior is okay. And um, so there's a lot of that that goes on where they're, they're not intentionally thinking they're hurting a child because they've talked them, they've convinced themselves that whatever they're doing wasn't that. So I think that was different about you. And, but I'm not sure that that's totally enough to keep somebody on one side of the line. Yeah. Not you, but in general, you know, when we're talking about offending versus non-offending maps, but I definitely think that that certainly has been helpful in terms of your decision-making. Right. And, and, I guess getting, I guess, relating to the idea that we're going to talk about what we've learned from each other is, you know, it's been a two-way street. And that was one of the things that you initially were telling me. And it got me to um, think about it. And I realized that I could have, I could have given into that sort of deceptive Mm self-talk if, um, I think it was good that you made me aware of that possibility. Mm -hmm. And you sort of you you helped give me some ideas of boundaries like at my um initial react well some of your initial boundaries were like one like just not even having any contact and i was like well that's not gonna happen Um, (laughs) and i was like oh yeah i don't have that authority to yeah (laughs) but no but you definitely i had i mean ultimately i'm the one who is going to enforce the boundaries so i had to be the one to set them and um you gave me some some guidance, I guess, in that. Mm-hmm. So, and things were, you know, things were different. I think once we began our relationship, I was just much more mindful of things like being alone with mm-hmm. her, sort of how physical contact manifested between us because, you know, she was a very affectionate child. I sort of, I would actively seek out that affection but I, but I realized that I need, you know, because you said like, well, she's going to at some point is way too into me. And um, that's just kind of be kind of icky. So sort of made it a rule that I would, I would not actively like seek her out. But if she came to me and wanted to have a hug or something, then that was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wanted, I was about to say, let's clarify the for the audience, like what we meant mean by physical um, thing, like oh. you're more you're talking about but, hugs and yeah, like uh, well, like some of the, like a lot of the things that we would do together would she like she always wanted to dance like and hold hands, or she wanted me to hold her or carry her around stuff like that, or sit on your lap. I mean, that was a big one. Yeah, that, that we've talked about. You know, lap lap sitting is a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah. but she's. I mean, that was just that's just kind of the child she is. Like she. If you're in her circle, like she's going to be on your lap at some point. It, it, it's, it sucks that we have to clarify that, but I know I would get probably a bunch of negative comments if we didn't. So I just wanted to make sure people understood what you meant. So. Yes, no, I, I appreciate you doing that. So, yeah, I think my experience having work, worked with people who have crossed the line is is helpful in terms of, you know, these are, this is a cautionary tale. And my concern with, with 
a map who's a no map but has has a close relationship with with a child that they're attracted to would be just to make sure that you're you know clear within yourself as to what are healthy and appropriate boundaries so that you don't end up um you know one of the things one of the big parts of treatment with sex offenders is you're trying to help them figure out what the pathway was that got them to act out and so that they can see whether or not there's uh things that lead up to it and warning signs and grooming behavior and all of those kinds of things and so i think the same holds true with the no map is that you want to make sure that they see you know what are potential uh high risk situations or high or riskier situations so that they don't topple over the edge uh, because of lack of of awareness or planning or temptation or whatever does that make sense yeah oh yeah absolutely and i should clarify that um you know the situation that i was in with this child is it was the type of i mean i don't want to give away any personal details of my life but it was the type of situation where um for us to have a, a closer relationship was entirely appropriate and expected so i don't want people to think that i was just like inserting myself into some situation just because there was a child there but and i know so right. I know, yeah. due to your due to your relationship with the child's family correct so anyway but yeah like you you really got me to think about all the different ways that I could end up crossing the line. So that was always on my mind. I think that helped me a lot. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I guess I don't really believe that I ever would have anyway, but it definitely made me feel a lot better about it. <laughs> that plus I think it drove home to you the need to really kind of look at your boundaries instead of just right. assuming that everything was okay. I mean, you yeah. had more knowledge. You had more knowledge. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, when I first started seeing my first therapist in regards to my attraction, um, uh, someone in my immediate circle, uh, you know, a child in my life, I, I was close to kind of like Jay. And I, I too never thought I would ever cross the line with it. But what my therapist made me see was there were certain things that could lead down the wrong path if I didn't put up the appropriate boundaries. So that's definitely where she helped me as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, are that is that something that y'all discuss in the MAP community, the no MAP community? Are people helping each other sort of with these with these lessons and these ideas that we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, for me, there's one particular friend of mine who had an opportunity to get closer with someone that he, he found special in his life. And from what I knew of this person, I, I definitely thought, oh, this person's not at risk at all. And that, like, as long as the appropriate boundaries are set up and all that, that that would be okay for that person to do. He was actually asking me if he thought it was okay. And so he, he had a chance to be around the child uh, with, you know, family nearby and all that stuff like that. So there was no, no risk. But at the same time, the, the emotions he felt were just too overwhelming that he was concerned that if he was alone with this child, something could happen, um, even if he didn't want it to. So I think we can talk about it all the time and help each other out. But we, 
as individuals, especially because a lot of times we we never get to meet the people we're talking to online. So we really don't get to know the person. We we got to set up our own boundaries. And I think having someone like you, Sona, or my, my therapist to I think Jay was mentioning before we started recording that sometimes the maps um, need to be called on their bullshit. And I, you know, that, that's why we need therapists in our life for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. And, and just like, I mean, y'all need to be called on y'all's bullshit. I mean, I think again, one of the things that, that Jay has helped me learn is those assumptions, you know, that, and I wouldn't say that I was, of the camp that if you're attracted to a minor, you're always going to act out. I mean, I, I think I have experience and and, and enough uh, awareness of individual differences to know that that's not the case. But um, but it, it it has working with Jay has caused me to give that issue a whole lot more thought. And I wish that we knew more about how to keep people who are minor attracted from from being at risk to act out. And yet, and this is another issue that I think Jay and I have, have worked on, and it's another one of those um, conundrums that, you know, will we ever find the answer is that how do you have, how do you find, if you, if you can't have that, that kind of intimate relationship that really is what, what you're drawn to, how, what does the future mean in terms of intimacy? And, and that, that's a big one for the map community, especially the, um, the, uh, why am I blocking on the term? Exclusive map. Thank you. Yes. And that's, that one is tough. That's, I mean, Jay and I have wrestled with that one a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, where, where does he get that that sense of unconditional love and and emotional closeness and all of that and i don't know i don't know what the answer to that is yeah like my you interesting you bring that up because actually this past week's session with my therapist we're gonna really start delving into that aspect because you know i'm non-exclusive but where what's different about it for me is that my minor attraction is same sex, whereas my age appropriate attraction is primarily heterosexual. And but recently I've been noticing that I have been able to find certain men attractive under um, certain circumstances. And is that something that I'm going to be willing to explore? Like, am I can I like actually become a bisexual person so mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. as well yeah, I, think I mean i think it's worth a shot yeah i mean you know if if you can expand the pool of potential partners realistic you know realistic pool of potential partners then that certainly might give you more opportunity but it's not that easy i mean you know who we're attracted to is complicated obviously yeah. Yeah, definitely. But those only... those are some issues that working with maps right now has really really has me thinking and and sort of why I'm jazzed about going in this new direction since since my 
semi-retirement, this whole thought about how to help people, you know, who who aren't facing the criminal justice system. That was one reason why I was ready to retire. It was just so hard to fight those battles with the criminal justice system and the effects that, you know, my clients were dealing with and with the criminal justice system. And so removing that component is nice. <laughs> it's it's really a breath of fresh air, but now it's never too late to learn new things. And so I think what what I'm working on is trying to figure out how to help Jay and and whoever else I work with, you know, how how to find meaning in your life, how to how to give yourself compassion, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely a, a difficult thing for all of us is to find meaning. Um this past week I've had a like a what's the point type of thing in regards to my attraction. Like why does minor attraction even exist? Like it serves no purpose at all. And even if there was a world where it wasn't harmful to a child, it still is a limited time frame type of attraction whereas with other sexualities you can grow old with the person and Mm -hmm. with with minor attraction for all of us there's a certain point where the um the they age out of our attraction and you know that that would be harmful to both both parties you know if it was like the somewhere the sexual aspect was a primary harmful situation Right. The other, uh, talking about, you know, just learning more, I, the, um, my, the organization that sex offender treatment providers uh, belong to, the ATSA, the Association for Treatment of Sexual Abusers, which is an international organization and is, you know, people that are doing treatment and research. And I've attended numbers, numerous of their conferences. And this year, of course, it's going to be it's going to be online. It's not going to be in person. So, I, even though I don't need any of my continuing education credits right now because I've I've fulfilled all of that and renewed my licenses, I was looking at the at the agenda. It's in October, I believe, and I was looking at the agenda and scouring. Uh, and I hadn't told you this, Jay, but scouring uh, for presentations that had to do with uh, with of course, in our field, we call it pedophilia. We don't call it minor attraction, but you know that's the clinical term. And so, I've, I've, I've. There are a few lectures that I think I'm going to try to attend virtually online to maybe you know learn more about this. And I know that the field does recognize that this is something that we need to address. Um, at the, was it? Was it the Narsol? Yeah, the Nar the Narsol conference was virtual this year also, and uh, I think it's uh, Dr. Berlin out of out of Maryland talked a lot about. Um, I, I saw his presentation, and he was talking about the need to do further research into the area of minor attraction and how to address it and whatnot. So, um, hopefully, I'll you know, hopefully it won't just be research. A lot of the, a lot of time, the conferences are over the the um, sessions are research oriented where somebody's a researcher and they're just telling you about, you know, what they've learned from this study and that study. And that's just a big yawn for me because I'm a clinician, not a, not a research person. So hopefully there'll be something worthwhile for the clinician in, in some of those presentations. Yeah. I think um, I, 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 
followed the link to it um, the other day because it was on my Twitter feed or something. And I think uh, Michael Sito is going to be there um, this year. And yes, he, yes, he's well, he's always there. I mean, he's he's very uh, he I, he's been is he current president or I, Michael Sito is very very involved in that. So he's one of our, you know, he's one of our big um, names and and people uh in the field at most definitely i mean i've heard him speak numerous times yeah i would love to give get him and dr Cantor on my podcast but that's probably a huge ask so but maybe someday. so was there anything else you guys really wanted to uh discuss because we're coming up on an hour here so i, I don't know if you, well, you need to discuss something more but i just wanted to throw it out there i would like just to make a final statement and this doesn't have to be the end of the discussion if it goes on but uh in regards to the relationship that i had with uh my young friend um i recognize that it even though i know i wouldn't have crossed the line with her and, and it was probably safe it was unhealthy on my end the emotional attachment that I had and I would have to caution any young maps away from um, ever getting in a situation like that. I wish that like Sona has told me that like if she had met me before I developed that connection that she, she doesn't think she would have been able to talk me out of it and I have to agree it's probably true. I don't know like <laughs> Like when I want to tell when I want to tell young maps like stay away don't right. go there um, danger I danger go, turn around I don't know how I could really convince them I mean that's the big question like you know it developed so organically and once the heart starts feeling emotions it's just hard to um, it's, it's very stubborn <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I think that in learned my lesson, and in the future, um, I will be able to stay away from that. And I wish it hadn't. I mean, I don't know if we really touched. We didn't really touch on like sort of the disastrous outcome for me. But basically, um, I was uh, defending um, no maps on social media, and somebody decided to take it upon themselves to figure out my actual identity, and then warn the people in my lives that I'm apparently a dangerous pedophile because I don't think that pedophiles should be punished for being pedophiles exclusively. So sorry if that that's a bit of a gripe of mine, but <laughs> anyway, um, right. And then that yeah. touched off a cascade of, yeah. So now, yeah. So basically I have no more contact with that person or her parents, but they were looking at, you know, like all of the, I guess, the interactions that I had with her took place in front of everybody. And, you know, nobody, I'm not going to say they, they weren't concerned because maybe they were, but like not enough to, to make it an issue. It was probably just, it looked a little bit like curious, like, okay, why is he so easily drawn into what she wants to do and wants to spend so much time with her? At any rate, once once somebody had spoken out to them and said, hey, we identified this person in your life and he's uh, a dangerous pedophile because he was defending ped... Anyway, <laughs> once that happened, you know, everything got looked at in a different light 
and in my opinion it was a bit out of control and a bit overblown i was accused of grooming her and it's like well grooming has to for it to be grooming you need to be working your way toward actual abuse and uh things that i did were for the sake of the things that i did there was no i want to do this so i can do that later to it and that's something that almost nobody understands <laughs> at all so that's just life i guess and uh so yeah like maps but like, nobody nobody understands because if it's if it looks like you know the whole thing if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck it's a duck i mean if it looks like grooming i think that's why that's why it freaked people out okay okay yeah but um <laughs> this is where i get a little bit mad because <laughs> grandma and grandpa and aunts can can do all the same things that i did and it's and it looks just like what it is and, right but uh, you know but you know um I was thinking about that because you've said that to me before and you said, how is it any different? And I think it's different because I mean, I'm a grandma, so of young grandchildren, so I can put myself in that situation and there's not that emotional, that same emotional component, not that there isn't an emotional attachment to your grandchildren or your nieces or nephews or whatever, or your best friend's kids. Um, but there's, it's, it's accepted because there's not the danger that they're going to cross the line because they don't have a line to cross. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that. I do. Um, but and that's, I, and that's the problem with, that's the problem with how do you, you know, that's the problem with being a map and how do you have healthy relationships with children and with the families of children without, people feeling as though you're a monster who's ready to groom and attack at any moment. That that's right. what that's what you yeah. and I are working on right now, how to deal with that. Well, okay, so what I I completely get that and I wish that I the only my only gripe is that I wish that they would since no abuse took place and now that they're aware of me being a map like they can definitely put boundaries in place to to ensure that for their own peace of mind but since you know since nothing happened i wish that they would open their minds to consider that the things that i did were simply for the sake of what they were for the enjoyment of right. the enjoyment of spending time with her and the, or the enjoyment of uh treating her to gifts or whatever um right yeah. doing projects and that's yeah of yeah that kind of thing yeah like homework and painting and you name it you know that was i was doing those things for the sake of doing those things there was no you know i, I wish they could understand that i also wish and this is thinking about an ideal society that will probably never exist in my lifetime but that i could have said something a long time ago i wish i could have said hey just say no I'm a map and I, I have some feelings. So I just want you to be aware and we can agree to some, uh, some boundaries, whatever makes you comfortable. And that way everybody is um, fully aware. I, I just, you know, yes, without. That and, 
Yeah. And you and I, I talked about that in the early on with you. It was like, do you think you could disclose to these people? Um, because I agree that would be a perfect world where you could yeah. say, this is who I am. I have no intention of acting out, but let's, you know, let's all be on the same team here. And so, and, and you rightfully said, <laughs> no, I don't think I could disclose that without being completely rejected. And, and, you know, you and I, toss that around periodically about being able to be open. And, and that, that's another issue, I think, that, you're, that you've taught me that is important to explore is how can you be your authentic self with people that don't accept that authenticity? You yeah, know, that, that's, that, that's, that's a big issue. Yeah, that's something that I... Yeah, I'm sure Jay can um, agree to this is like in the group call that both him and I are in, um, Meg always talks about the difference between privacy and keeping secrets and that we don't need to tell everyone everything about us. But and it, I agree with that. But at the same time, the minor attraction is a big part of someone's life just like you know a heterosexual um and homosexual part of other people's lives and like once someone understands that's who you are they can understand you better and right now it's finally in a spot where most homosexual sexuals can like come out to friends and family and they can accept it i think it's for us to have that same um yeah i mean that would be that would be a perfect world but i don't know that we're i mean i know we're not there yet and that's um but that that's that's a big issue for uh, you know i i believe in people being able to be their authentic selves and being accepted and this is this is uh not something that that most maps are afforded at least i mean certainly hopefully with some of their relationships but but they have to be very, very careful. Yeah, other, other than my mom, everyone else who knows either chooses to ignore it and just like treat me like it doesn't exist or choose to not have me in their life. Um, and so I need, I would love to have more people like my mom's acceptance from other family members, but I know I can't control that. And it mm-hmm. took a while for my mom to get to that point. So, yeah, well, I tell you, it'd help and, if, <laughs> sorry. Well, ahead, I was Sona. just saying that that's the lack of acceptance. And that's why, I mean, you know, when we talk about maps seeking therapy, I mean, it's, it's not to try to change their attraction because as, as we all know <laughs> on this phone call, that is not the goal and that's not realistic, but it's to be able to, to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think, why I want to do these types of um, podcasts now is that I want to let people know that therapy for MAPS isn't about conversion therapy. It's it's more about accepting who you are and being able to live in a world that most people don't accept you. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, for now, I think, I, I hate to say it, but I think that remaining or or secrecy is the is the only way and that's really a shame because as long as there's secrecy there is going to be 
there's going to end up being abuse. But, and I don't mean like every map who's keeps their attraction secret is going to abuse, obviously not. But like, um, it's going to come up more often than it would if we could just be open with the people in our lives. Yeah. Right. And, and, and build that, build that uh, collaborative relationship. Like you were talking about, if there's children involved in those relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even the fact that it's hard for a, a map to feel comfortable talking to a therapist about it shows how far we need to go. It should be the one safe spot that we have, like be able to just come and talk about it with someone who understands how the mind works but or tries to understand how the mind works i should say i, I don't want to say you know, <laughs> how does the mind work by the way <laughs> oh, ask dr Cantor. <laughs> so uh, and so is there anything else you'd like to say or you know um no, I just I think this has been a really interesting conversation that that we've had, and I've enjoyed being a part of it. The um, the one thing that I thought would be a is interesting conversation, even if it's not a podcast, is kind of about that whole aspect of what looks like grooming behavior to someone else. Like, because as Jay said, I had the. Um, relationship with the child in my life all those years ago I never had any you know I did some of the same types of things that Jay did uh, with buying gifts and all that stuff like that and but if the people in that child's life had ever found out that I was attracted to them I, I wonder if they would have looked at it as a grooming behavior as well so I, you know I think that is a really good conversation and well, I, I think my guess would be yes they would have and and that's something that that Jay and I talk about is the quote optics of the situation. So mm -hmm. even though he knows where he stands, and even though he knows what's in his heart, that that once he was outed, then other people start making assumptions, and and yeah. that because of the way things look, and you know that's that's why he's had to suffer what he's been suffering about that whole, that whole issue, that whole situation. Yeah. I had so, yeah a, I mean, that might be a good conversation to have in, in terms in the map community is, you know, what do things look like to other people that don't have the same level of understanding? Yeah. I think that goes back to the, what I said about calling, calling each other on our bullshit. So, right. But, uh, right. Right, but like, but like Jay was saying, when he's trying to give a cautionary tale to younger maps, and and like he and I have discussed, you know, if I had seen, if I had known him before this relationship developed, but would have seen it coming down the pike, and would have been yeah. going, no, 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 you can't do that. It's going to lead. It's not going to end up well. You know, it's hard. You know, people go, oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's why I'll never make that judgment for someone else. They have to make that determination because, yeah, it's you can see it coming, and but you know that person's gonna do what they do, and hopefully they listen to you. But you never know. 
Well, I, I don't think, I mean, with the knowledge that you have based on your experience and your friend's experience and other people's experience, I think if you see somebody headed down that road, you certainly can say, hey, let me offer this perspective here. You know, you may or may not do anything with that information, but let me just offer this perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there are times when people will ask me and I said, like, look, I, you know, I, I know what's in from what you discussed with me. I feel I know what's in your heart, but I'll say whether or not feel that you're OK with this, that situation or whatever. But, you know, in the end, you got to know what's right for you. And um, right. Yeah, so. right. I would just like to say to if there are any. Um, "Quote unquote non or normal people who aren't who aren't maps who are listening to this maybe for academic reasons and are feeling a little freaked out. <laughs> um, what this discussion has been about is, I think, how a map or a pedophile navigates um, living in the world and um, dealing with relationships that develop organically and." Uh, sort of managing um, what their heart tells them they should do and what it wants and uh, what is both appropriate and acceptable uh, by society. And that's a tough road and it would be made a lot easier if you guys would uh, just let us come out and, and let you know without fearing that we're going to, that you're going to freak out and we're going to be, uh, sent to an island <laughs> to uh, live ostr alone. ostracized yeah 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 a amen I, i'm i'm there with you <laughs> well, i think that's a good place to end as any um so again thanks for uh coming on guys and and you're free um feel free to if you guys have anything else you want to talk about uh hit me up and we'll do another one of these so. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the time, Elliot. Yep. Thank you. Have a good day, guys. You too. All right. Bye. Bye bye. And that concludes today's episode. We hope that you found this discussion informative and enlightening. Our guests, Sona and Jay, have provided valuable insights on the primary prevention of child sexual abuse and the importance of working with non-offending MAP individuals to create safer communities. We encourage listeners to continue exploring this topic and to support efforts to prevent child sexual abuse. If you or someone you know needs support, there are resources available to help, including crisis support lines and mental health professionals. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your support and encourage you to stay engaged with our podcast and the important conversations we have here. Until next time, remember, listening is understanding.